0: Today's passage is going to be from Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. Children and parents. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him.
1: All right, good morning. Kids, where are you guys at this morning? Raise your hands up for me. Let me see them. All right, so, kids, I got some good news and some maybe you can interpret it as bad news for you this morning. The good news is that uh, a big part of our passage today is directed to you guys. You were paying attention when Mr. Silas read. The kind of bad news is that it says you need to obey your parents. How many of you like obeying your parents? It's your favorite thing in the whole world. How many of you try to obey your parents anyway. Right? That's, that's good. We, I think, just as people, most of the time, we don't like it when other people tell us what to do. Um, we want to be in charge of ourselves. We want to do what we want to do. We're, we're, we're selfish. But one of the things that Paul is telling us today is that it's, it's good for kids to obey their parents. And so we're going to just look together at what he says. So in the, the first verse we read, uh, is, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. If you're in Kids Connect, this is also the Memory Verse for April. So if you want to get a jump start on it, you can be thinking about this today. So what Paul is doing here is he's giving us a command. He's saying if you're a child, you're supposed to obey your parents. He's saying in in this part of his letter, he's saying these are things that we should do because we follow Jesus. So he's saying, "Kids, As somebody who wants to follow Jesus, you should obey your parents. As somebody who wants to obey Jesus, you should obey your parents. But why? Like, why why should you obey your parents? Well, Paul gives us two reasons. The first one, as he says, it's right. It's, It's the right thing to do. And we find out why it's the right thing to do with the second reason he gives us. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So, kids, if you notice... Uh, Right there after the 2, verse 2, the word honor starts with little quote marks. What that's telling us is that Paul is quoting from somewhere else in the Bible. He's saying, we read this somewhere else, and and the place he's quoting from is... The Ten Commandments. He's saying one of the Ten Commandments, actually the fifth one, is to honor your father and mother. And Paul is telling us that that's the first of the Ten Commandments that has a specific promise tied to it. And that specific promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying the Old Testament says, and then he's saying he says, that children should obey their parents. The reason why they should obey their parents is that it's the right thing to do. And the reason why it's the right thing to do is because it's what, God, it's what God has commanded his people, and there's a promise with that, and the promise is that it will go well with you and that you'll live long in the land. And so kids, when your parents tell you to like clean up your room or do your homework or brush your teeth, like they're not doing that just because they're big old meanies that want to boss you around. They're doing that because they care about you. They love you. They have a responsibility to to bring you up, and they want what's best for you. And Paul here is telling kids, do what your parents say because it's what's best for them. And so, kids, I want to encourage you to to do what Paul says, to to obey your parents, to to do what they tell you to do because you— Trust them, and because you trust God, that God knows what's best for you, and he's given you parents who will care for you and love you, and if you want to, to, to hang on and listen more, I'm going to tell your parents what they have to do next. So let's, let's pray, and we'll get into the rest of the passage together this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a good and perfect father. And Jesus, we thank you that you are an obedient son, that you came down to, to do the will of your Father, that you lived a perfect life in our place, in obedience to your Father, that you died under the penalty of our sin, purchasing our freedom, buying us out of our slavery to sin and, and into relationship with you. We pray this morning that, that you would... Uh, Allow your spirit within us to, to convict us, to challenge us on, on how we parent our children. And that we would to see in your word that the gospel doesn't just save us. It also lays claim to our life and how we should live. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so non-kids, parents, Paul says, children, obey your parents. In each of these sections, right, so we're, we're in this section of Ephesians where Paul has, has moved from talking about the truth of, of who Jesus is and what he's done. He kind of does that for the first three, three and a half sometimes four chapters of ephesians he's saying like this is the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for us he's essentially just unpacking the truth of the gospel and its implications and then he turns a corner and he starts to talk about what we should do how we should live because of it and in this we last week we talked about marriage this week we'll talk about parenting and then and then bondservants He's talking about how the gospel should shape these relationships, these things that take place within their own homes. It's like a a household code. This is how Christians should live and conduct themselves in their homes. So he said at the beginning that we read that children should obey their parents. The reason why they they should obey their parents is because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do because it's what God has commanded for his people and that it's, it's what's best for them. Now, he's going to shift in verse 4 and talk to parents. Specifically, he talks to fathers. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, He's directing this to fathers, moms, this does not mean that you're off the hook, this does not mean that you can't also provoke your children to anger, but he's probably singling out fathers because in the ancient world, fathers wielded a a kind of pretty crazy amount of power. So listen to this quote, Uh, hopefully it's going to be on the slides, Uh, maybe, nice, full disclosure. I put this slide in at 10.31 a.m., and so I didn't know if it was actually going to be there. I'm why we started a little late this morning. My apologies. But here's this quote from Frank Thielman. He says, although it is possible to exaggerate the extent to which the father in ancient Roman households threw his weight around, by modern standards, he was an extraordinarily powerful figure with far-reaching legal authority over his children. The powerful father was also part of Greek and Jewish culture. Here, Paul reigns in this power, urging fathers not to abuse their authority by treating their children in harsh, unfair ways that create resentment and bitterness. So Paul is is riding in an environment in which the father has almost like absolute, total, complete control and authority over his children. And Paul is saying, like, let's, let's dial that back a little bit. Let's let's put some guards on that authority, just kind of like we saw last week with husbands. And so the he, he's he's focused here, not on the authority they have. He's not saying, like, you know, children's just listen to your listen to your dad and do everything he says. He's saying, fathers, you need to behave in specific ways towards your kids. First, he says, don't provoke them to anger. So he's saying, don't don't abuse your authority in ways that are going to cause anger or or bitterness or resentment in your children. Here's another quote about this command. It's from another commentator on the book of Ephesians. He says, effectively, well, that's really small. Effectively, the apostle is ruling out excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Behind this curbing of a father's authority is the clear recognition that the children, while they are expected to obey their parents in the Lord, are persons in their own right who are not to be manipulated, exploited, or crushed. So he's saying, fathers and, and moms, we should be parenting our children. We should be using the authority that we have, the responsibility we have for our children, not in an overly authoritative, not in a harsh, not in an arbitrary, not in an unfair way, but in a way that recognizes that they are tiny human people, right? Who, who have thoughts and feelings and emotions. And of course, we, we know all these things. But it's easy to forget about them when when they don't do what we want them to do. So I think that one thing, one thing that this passage should do for us is it should cause us to to put our parenting under a microscope. It should cause us to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and and, and ask, like, are there ways in which I am provoking my children to anger? Are there ways in which my parenting is, is leading them towards bitterness, towards resentment? Instead of that, instead of fathers provoking their children to anger, instead of mothers provoking their children to anger, what, what are we supposed to do? Well, look at the universe four. It says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, first of all, we're supposed to bring our kids up. We should see that in contrast to bringing them down by provoking them to anger, right? One thing that we talked about earlier in Ephesians four and five is that our speech, should build up, right? Christians all the time, we should be using our words to build other people up, not tear them down. Like, it's not any different in parenting. We should be bringing our kids up. That doesn't just mean raising them. That doesn't mean just helping them get older. It means helping them develop as human beings, right? Our parenting should build our kids up, should help them become flourishing little people who are confident, um, Specifically, Paul says, we bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And I think the word discipline here needs to be explained, because I think we tend to think of discipline only in really like a negative context, right? We, we need discipline to do things that we don't want to do. So like you know, I'm trying to develop the discipline of of exercising regularly, or 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 reading often, or eating more healthy. Right? No one is ever like I'm, I'm trying to develop the discipline of of watching more TV. Right? We we do that fine without discipline. Discipline is usually like us forcing ourselves to do something that we don't want to do, but it's it's not a bad thing necessarily. Um, and this word could also be translated as as training. Like, it was used in the ancient world to describe either either physical or, like, mental or emotional training uh, in cultural value. So, it was about, like, developing people. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it's used to describe training in righteousness. So, like, developing, discipling Christian believers. Um, If you have the ESV study Bible here, it says about this verse, it says that uh, it should, this training should center on the kinds of practices that Paul's been talking about in Ephesians four and five. And so parents, what I think this means, and we're supposed to like bring our children up in this, this discipline, it's the discipline of living as a Christian. Another way we could put that is we're to bring them up in gospel culture and living out the realities of the gospel in their daily lives alongside of discipline, Paul puts instruction, and the instruction of the Lord, right? We are supposed to, this should not come as a shock to any of us, we're supposed to teach our kids about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done for them, like they're supposed to be growing up in our homes, learning how to live in light of the gospel, and learning the truth of the gospel, right? This is This is what we're supposed to do. This should not be surprising. It should not be a shock. And when we recognize the second part of this, like what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that makes it obvious that the first part has no place in our home, right? If we want our kids to to learn and see and experience and embrace the realities of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how that should shape our lives, it's pretty obvious that we should not be parenting in a way that's provoking them to anger. We should be parenting in a way that, that shows kindness and graciousness and like generosity. We should be bringing them up in light of a gospel that we believe and preach to our kids. And I think it's important for us to recognize that I don't, I don't think Paul's focus here is on like Things like reading the Bible to your kids or or family devotions or like, you know, having them memorize scripture. Like those are all good things. We should do those things. But I think the reality is, is that we do so much more to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of something by how we live our daily lives. Right, the the way we really teach our kids about who Jesus is and what He's done is in the thousands of little conversations we have with them throughout the day. Right, it's it's what's going on in our homes and in our hearts when we're getting them ready for school in the morning. It's what's going on in our homes and in our hearts when we're you know driving them somewhere. Was you're like waiting for them all to get strapped in and you feel like you're going to lose your mind? Like how you respond in those moments is teaching them who Jesus is and what you believe about Him right? It's in, it's in all the, the, the small and big conversations you have with your kids. It's more about the informal times in our home than the formal times. We should absolutely be intentional in the big things, but we also want to be intentional in the small things, like us intentionally parenting in a way that is pointing our kids to Jesus, both in what we say and in what we do, is how we bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That is what's going to have the biggest impact in bringing them up in the way that God wants us to. Okay, we have a subject change in verse 5. We move from parents and children to, to bond servants and masters. So the first question we have to answer before we go into this section is, what is a bond servant. This word here in English, bond servant, it, it translates a word that could also be translated as, as slave. But the reason why it isn't slave is because for us, especially in America, the word slave has a very particular connotation, right? A, a, a dehumanizing and horrific thing that took place in our country that, that was wrong. Bondservants were, were different. Um, If you were to flip over, if you had an ESV Bible and you flipped over to the preface, you would read this this quote here. In the New Testament times, a doulos, that's the word here for slave or bondservant, is often best described as a bondservant. That is, someone in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years, except for those in Caesar's household in Rome who were contracted for 14 years, when the contract expired, the person was freed, given his wage that had been saved by the master and officially declared a freedman. So it's, it's, it, it worked differently than slavery worked in our country. And so when Paul is addressing uh, slaves, losses, he's, he's talking to bondservants, people who kind of contracted themselves into slavery for a specific time period. And then when they got done, they were, they were paid a wage for their labors. Another thing we need to know about this passage is that often people are critical of Paul here, saying that, like, he didn't do enough to argue against slavery. Um, But we need to recognize, and I think it'll be clear as we go through it, that Paul does reshape it. So listen to this quote kind of explaining what's happening here. There is... Okay, this one did not make the slides, so just, just listen. There is no explicit criticism of slavery here, but the level of mutuality and reciprocity that is assumed to exist between master and slave creates an atmosphere in which it would have been difficult for slavery to survive if the advice of the passage had been rigorously followed. The problem that the passage highlights is not its own failure to rise above this brutal and ubiquitous institution, but the failure of those who receive the passage as authoritative, both in antiquity and in more recent times, to live out its radical implications. So what that quote is saying is they're saying people might look at this passage and say Paul could have done more to argue against slavery, but the problem is not actually with what Paul says. The problem is with our lack of obedience. He's saying that if people actually, masters and slaves, took it to heart and did what Paul said, it would create an environment in which slavery would have disappeared sooner. So he's saying, if people would have just done what Paul said, like it would have reshaped slavery in such a way that would have not survived. And so let's go through the passage and we'll see this. So first, Paul tells bond servants to obey their earthly masters with Fear and trembling. So they're supposed to have a a posture of respect. I don't think he's here describing fear in the sense of terror. And the reason why I don't think that is because Paul uses the same exact phrase in Philippians when he talks about us working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And there it's clear that his expectation is not that like we'll be terrified of God, because God is is working good for us in that situation. So bondservants should have a, a posture of humility towards their master says they should also obey with a sincere heart, right? like they would obey Jesus. Not, not as somebody who's just outwardly trying to please people, but as those who are bondservants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So he's saying that they should serve their masters with, with, with sincere hearts. They shouldn't just fake it. Uh, they should serve as those who are serving Jesus. Why should they do this? Why should they behave in this way? Because of verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. So he's saying, serve your master like you're serving Jesus, because ultimately that's who you're obeying. Ultimately, that's who you're accountable to. So he's telling bondservants to to submit to, to obey their masters, because they are obedient to Jesus. Now we see what he says to masters in verse 9. He says, masters, do the same to them... And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So first, he says, do the same to them. This is where this this radical thing Paul is saying comes into play. He's telling masters that there are ways in which they should treat their slaves like their slaves should treat them. This is pretty different from the way it worked normally. The question, though, is, is what does Paul mean when he says do the same to them? Like, does he mean that they should obey, that the masters should obey their bond servants, just like bond servants should obey their masters? Probably not. He's probably looking back to verse 7, where he said that, Uh, bond servants should obey their masters, recognizing that they're actually serving Jesus. They're actually accountable to Jesus. He's telling these masters that the way they treat their slaves is uh, something that they should do with the knowledge that they are accountable to Jesus. They're they're, they're representing Christ in the way they relate to other people, just like we see in the husband and wife relationship, just like we see in the parent-child relationship. Um, But we need to recognize that Paul here is, is leveling the field some between bond servants and masters. Applying this. Masters walking this out in obedience would radically reshape the institution. Next, he tells them not to threaten violence. Right? That they, they shouldn't be threatening their servants. Why? Because they know that Jesus is the master of both the master and the bond servant. That there's no partiality with him. Paul is saying... Jesus doesn't care if you're a master or if you're a servant. He cares how you treat other people, how you treat fellow human beings. So, so don't threaten violence. Paul's point to them is that they're under the same authority. They're going to be held accountable by Jesus for their actions, and that should inform and shape the way they treat other people. So the question for us is, is what do we do with this? Right? I, don't, I don't think that anybody here is a bondservant. I don't think anybody here has a bond servant who's contracted to them. And so, so, what does it look like for us to apply this part of the passage? Well, first, I think that the closest any of us probably get to this kind of relationship would be like employee boss or employee employer. And so, uh, if you're a boss, no, you are going to be held accountable by Jesus for how you treat your employees. Right? You shouldn't be threatening them. You should be treating them in a way that, that honors and respects and, and builds up their humanity. You should be serving them as a servant of Jesus. Right? You should be being a boss, being an employer in such a way that causes people to, to praise Jesus for the kind of boss that you are. If you're an employee, you should be a good employee. You shouldn't be lazy. You shouldn't be a bad worker. Uh, you, should, you should do your work well with a sincere heart, knowing that serving your boss and serving your company, you're doing that as a servant of Jesus, as someone who represents him, knowing that, that any good you do, whether your boss cares about it or not, like you'll receive back from the Lord. I think a second application for us from this passage is, is just to recognize the reality that while this passage doesn't directly apply to us, like it does still directly ap- apply to people in our world. Like Slavery is still a thing. And even though we're very well insulated in the U.S., like we should, should recognize that this exists. At the very least, it's something we should be praying that God would, would work against. And and maybe, uh, you know, there might be other tangible ways for you to get involved, that you should get involved to fight against the reality of slavery in our modern world. I think the biggest takeaway for us from these sections is that Paul is telling us that the truth of, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us should be radically reshaping our relationships, right? The way we relate to people in our daily lives. Following Jesus, and I know we know this, right? But it's not just something that we do when we gather together on Sunday mornings. It's not just something we do when we get together for MC. It's not just something we do when we read our Bibles or or pray or or sing worship songs. Following Jesus is about us living out the realities of the gospel in our daily lives, in in everyday, ordinary moments with with our husband or our wife, with our kids, with our parents, uh, in, our, in our work relationships, right? In the, the big conversations and the small conversations, right? It's about us bringing to bear the truth of the gospel on, on what we say, on what we think, on how we feel, on, on what we do and how we act and behave towards other people, right? As, as parents, we're called to be constantly weaving the fabric of the gospel into our homes, into our children, into the way we, we parent them, Right? It's also something that we do when we, when we go to work, how we work, how we follow, how we lead. Like we should be doing things in such a way that creates a culture in which people know and see and experience the love of Christ for them. In which people are drawn more and more to who he is. Right? The, the realities of the gospel should be impacting these, these most basic relationships that we exist in every day. Uh, that's what Paul wants for us. He doesn't want us to walk away from Ephesians and think like the gospel is great. He does want us to think that, but he also wants us to think that it has demands on our life. It has demands on our parenting. It has demands on on how we work and how we lead at work. So let's pray together and we'll continue in our service this morning. Father, I thank you that you have not left us alone but that you have given us your word. And that it contains not only the the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, but that it also tells us who we should be in light of that. And that that's not burdensome. Your commands aren't burdensome. But because of Jesus, you've empowered us to live a new kind of life. And so we pray that you would use your spirit within us to to enable us to to parent in the way you call us to parent. That for kids, you would enable them to to, to walk in obedience, not just to you, but also to their parents. Pray that you would help us to to work in such a way that, that brings glory and honor to you. And for, for bosses and employers, that they would treat their employees in such a way that, that, that draws them closer to you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. That you've paid for every failure and you've purchased every success. And so we pray that you would help us to, to go out this week and, and in our homes, in our parenting, at our jobs, to to walk in the good works that you've prepared beforehand. It's in your name we pray, amen.